be damned if the same politicians who refuse to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. Hello, everybody. It's me, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin, and it's time for She's a Woman. It's a podcast for every human being who looks in the mirror and says, She's a woman! And for the people who love them. Every week, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. So, Caitlin, hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm in Virginia visiting my family. I am in Washington State visiting my family, and I am so excited for both of us because we are in that post-pandemic moment or almost post-pandemic moment where we can actually see people again, and it feels really great. It does feel good. I got to see my little, like, nephews for the first time in, like, since Christmas 2019. Yeah, I got to see my whole family because we had this huge family reunion out on the Puget Sound, and there was, like, 50 people there, and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen some of these people, not just because of the pandemic, but just because of life for like two, three, four years in some cases, and it was really amazing. You have a really big family, right? Yeah, I have a massive family. My mom had six siblings. They all have many kids, and so I have, I think I have like 26 cousins by last count. That's wild. That's a big family reunion. That's a very big family reunion. Yeah, we all sat outside, and the only thing that I'm going to say is that here on the West Coast, it's like, 72 degrees and everyone's like oh my gosh this is a heat wave we can't take it and i'm like you should be in new york and experiencing what we're going through yeah the humidity is like 70 degrees thick alone and then add the heat you know what i mean it's 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 miserable oh it's absolutely miserable does it get humid on the west coast it doesn't really i think for some reason it feels like the ocean breezes blow it all away and so it's always so clear and nice And on top of that, it doesn't smell like garbage, which New York does constantly. It probably smells like fresh pine needles or whatever. (laughs) That's what I picture Washington State. It's the Evergreen State or something, right? It's the Evergreen State. And actually, you know what? Talking about evergreen trees and clean air, that is a perfect segue into our good news for the day. Are you excited? I'm excited, but probably not as excited as you because it has to do with trees. Okay, so I want to dive right into our serious groundbreaking interview, as always. But first, I have a little treat for you. Every week, my children, we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. And the idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week, our news is all about trees. Because trees are women, Caitlin! (laughs) People don't even know why, and that's so funny, you know? Yeah, well, I think we can divulge. At one point, I was going to do 
a whole web series where I talked about my obsession with trees. And the title was going to be Trees a Woman. <laughs> trees a Woman. And for some reason, it didn't get picked up. I don't understand why, because I don't know why anyone would want to miss out on seeing me talk about my favorite topic in, like, cheap Amazon outfits. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, how... Yeah. How could you miss out on that? I guess maybe it was a little repetitive because all I said is, I love this tree and I love that tree and this tree is so great. We literally went around LA from like park to park to tree to tree. Okay, so this story caught my eye for obvious reasons, but also because we have been talking about the environment lately, particularly the things we can do to make cities more eco-friendly. And I just ran across this article on the Good News Network, obviously. Avi. Yeah, Avi. And it really (laughs) made me excited because it takes everything we've been talking about to a whole nother level, okay? Okay. So here's the good news. Madrid, Spain, is making plans to combat their CO2 emissions by planting a forest around the boundaries of the city. That's right. They're literally just going to make a forest out of nowhere by planting, get this, nearly half a million trees, Caitlin. Oh my God. Can you imagine? That's a lot of trees. That's a whole lot of trees. When (laughs) mature, the trees will absorb an estimated 175,000 tons of CO2 per year, offsetting the emissions of one of the world's great cities. Meanwhile, the Spanish capital will be able to combat their city's island of heat by encircling themselves with a sea of green. I bet it's going to be beautiful. I bet it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. And just FYI, for all those who don't know about me being a tree nerd, I do have to be very specific about what kind of trees they're going to use. This new forest will be made up of black pine, beech, Spanish juniper, and various oak species that can all be found in the arid middle of Spain, where Madrid is located. And these native trees will require very little water or specialized soil conditions, and so they will have the best chance of surviving and reaching maturity, which is what needs to happen in order for them to make miracles happen. I was going to say, as a tree nerd, how do you feel about those choices? I feel really good about the fact that they used indigenous trees And I feel really good about the fact that they're thinking about how to reduce the amount of like extra fertilization and special soil and shipping stuff in. They'll be able to use the soil that's there right now and just plant trees that do well there automatically instead of like making a massive garden, which is essentially what it would be if they tried to use trees from outside the area. Well, you know what? We have to add Madrid to our list of places that we want to come. Oh, absolutely. You know, I can't wait to obsess over this and find out exactly how they plan to plant and take care of all these guys and ladies, um, tree ladies. (laughs) They will probably bring scientists from all over the world, I guess arborists is what they're called, I think, to make this huge project possible. And I'm just so excited by the idea of all that tree expertise in one place. And honestly, I want to go be an intern on this project. You 
deserve to. But like also in full drag. In full drag. Like just show up to the work site in a full drag, ready to take in the info and learn about the trees. Yeah. And we're like a wearing a little helmet and have a clipboard and everything. I can see it. I can see it. I'm just, yeah, I was very excited about this. This was like the third story from the top on the Good News Network. And I was like, all my research is done. Because I, (laughs) trees, you guys. This is the one. All right. Enough about that. Let's take a little break. Okay, we're back. For those of you just joining us, Caitlin and I are on opposite sides of the country. She is dialing in via Zoom today. And by she, I mean both me and Caitlin, of course. (laughs) Um, But before we continue with our little show, I just want to say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much, we're going to read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the show. And I have one today. Oh, you have one today? That's right. I worked very hard and like kept myself together and did not look at the podcast app because I was like, I want to be surprised by our review today. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I don't get a lot of things in this world. Like, even though we're like post-pandemic, I'm still full of anxiety and depression. But reviews are one of the great things that I look forward to. So thank you to every single human being that sends one in. It's like a nice bite-sized ego boost, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I get those once a week through this podcast, and that's all I need. So enough about that. I want to move on to the meat of the show. Not the potatoes, but the meat. Not the potatoes, but the meat. <laughs> I want to move on to our interview. So, Caitlin, as our producer, you found our subject for this week. So, can you tell me a little bit about Cami Crawford? Yes, I can. Well, I feel like most people listening to this probably have heard of the show Catfish. Cami Crawford is one of their current hosts of Catfish, which is a show that I love to watch. And it's like, I feel like it's always on TV, so you can always find it, especially when we're like, traveling around the world and only have hotel room TV. Right. So I've made you watch a lot of Catfish on the Road, too. Oh, and I've gotten addicted as well, and I watch it at home. I'm going to out myself. I have totally become obsessed with it, too. It's so good. And then watching that show, I just really liked Cammy. And I thought she was a really good partner for Neve. I think they bounce off each other really well. And I follow her on Instagram. And I just think she is so great. And then through kind of following her after finding out about her on Catfish, I found out she's from the DMV area, which is where I'm from. And she's had a whole career in like the pageant world, even before becoming the Catfish host. And she has a Boston Terrier named Biggie. <laughs> very important to me. Honestly, I feel like there's so many connections already. How can this interview not go well? Exactly. Okay, everybody. Cammie Crawford is a TV host, model, and former Miss Teen USA. She has always had a passion for investigative journalism and has put her skills to the test while working alongside Neve Shulman as the host of MTV's hit series, Catfish which is how we met and fell in love with her. Working as a model in a fashion world that deems anything over a size four as plus-sized 
and in a digital space that often lacks inclusion, has sparked Cami to use her influence to spread the importance of body positivity and diversity in the digital sphere and beyond. So, Cami, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm in LA. I am doing great. I actually just got uh, COVID for a second time. So I'm <laughs> fully recovered now and very, very happy. If you would have asked me last week, I would have been literally on my deathbed. So, so we're good. How Wait, are you? So <laughs> what was that like going through it a second time? And did you like have this period of disbelief where you're like, I don't think this, this can't, this can't possibly be happening to me again. Oh yeah. 1000%. I, so this was my second time having it. The first time I had it was in March of 2020. So I was like patient zero, basically nobody else had it when I had it. And I then the game. Yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. I'm just like in the house and depressed and nobody knows what's going on with me because it wasn't something people talked about. It was like such a, a weird time. And then this time having it, it was completely different. I'm fully vaccinated. So I definitely wasn't expecting to get it again, but honestly, I have to praise to the vaccine. It was way, way less severe than the first time I had it, um, this go around and I feel great. (laughs) You know, that's such an important message for anybody who is out there who is hesitating to get vaccinated because Mm -hmm. you're like, well, I can get it a second time. That is still an important thing to do because you can protect yourself from having a terrible episode yet again. So just please, everyone who's listening, take care of yourselves, take care of everyone around you and get vaccinated. Just to be sure our listeners know... Catfish is an addictive reality show where (laughs) Neve and his guest hosts help people find out if their online lovers are real or not. And I know that you worked on projects like TV's Catfish throughout the pandemic, but I want to know, what did you do to keep sane otherwise? Oh, I mean, a lot of Netflixing and chilling alone. Um, (laughs) I'd like to take a lot of alone time. So I had to just like, just separate myself from the world. Like I have a boyfriend, he, we don't live together, but I think it was vital for both of us and for our relationship for us not to be in the same place at the same time, 24 seven. And, you know, I, I just, I, I finally found a therapist um, for the first time and I started therapy and I absolutely love it. I like, I'm already looking forward to, I was taking a shower and I was thinking about my session that I have tomorrow with her. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't wait to talk to her because it's like my, my time to just release. And you know, time that like is me pouring back into myself. Cause I think I do a lot of pouring into others regularly, which I love to do, but it's also important to just tap back into yourself and like really, you know, make sure that you are in your own body and, and mind And that's been another way that I've just been able to kind of unwind and take care of myself through all this craziness. Was there a moment that first inspired you to start up with therapy? Because I know for me, I started right at the beginning of the pandemic too, Mm -hmm. in part because of the pandemic, but also because as a performer, I just realized that when you are in the performance sphere, it's very easy to lose yourself completely mm-hmm. in that career. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I lose myself, then how can I give of myself to other people at all? 
Yeah. I mean, so this was my very first time and I had always wanted to do it. And I've always been like a big advocate for it, um, which my therapist and I laugh about because she's like, you are the biggest advocate for therapy. And yet you had never been to therapy. (laughs) Right. Yeah, of course. That that makes sense for me. Um, But the (laughs) the pandemic definitely was like the catalyst after having COVID that first time and just the isolation like we all can relate to that because we've all felt it but the isolation that I felt during that time because nobody else I felt like was having the same experience as me and if they were it was just like a constant barrage of news and just sadness it it was just it was chaos like it was chaos and we're we're not going to see like the long-term effects of this for a while, but it was just, it felt like chaos. And then you had the election and like a bunch of different things that I just felt very overwhelmed. And when it came to like my work, like doing the show, Catfish never feels like work to me. Like it's so much fun. And like, it's just a a fun time pretty much every single time. But some of the other things that I wanted to focus on in my career and just like my own personal growth, I just felt like I was not in my own body. Like I felt so like the disassociation and like, it was just a weird feeling. And I was like, why am I feeling like this? Like, why do I feel so like not attached to myself? I've never been that person. I've never felt like this. So I was just like, you know what? It's, it's time to do this. And I love it. But like, you know, there's always that hesitation. I think people always think that when you are in therapy, it's going to be like some kind of traumatic. Every single time you talk to your therapist, you're going to be bawling your eyes out. I didn't tell my therapist like my real tea until like 10 sessions in. She didn't right. even, she didn't even know what I did for work. Like we just, it's really just, how was your day? And, yeah. and that's how it starts. And it's so easy, but I put so much pressure on it thinking that it was going to be so difficult. And it's not. I feel that too. And there are times if you are not in therapy now or you haven't done it before, of course, there are times where you start a session and you're like, I don't really have that much to report. Yeah. I don't know how I'm <laughs> going to fill an hour. But, you know, you allow yourself to talk. You allow yourself to have that time to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And it goes by so quickly. Oh my One God, thing, yes. as human beings, we have a lot to say about ourselves. So mm-hmm. yeah, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And it, that is, it's so true because there are times that I'm like, I really don't have anything to tell her today. And then we get on the session and we start talking about things from my childhood. And like, she's just, she's so good at connecting the dots and making me think in ways that I never thought before. And and that's basically what therapy is just like having a different thought provoking conversation because we are in our own brains 24 seven. It's nice to have someone else kind of get in there and like move things around and kind of show you around the place and be like, Hey, like this is what's actually going on in here. Even though you're focusing on this thing, like, why don't we talk about this? And I love that. I love that. It's just such a freeing experience. And now I've gotten like a bunch of my friends, I've got my boyfriend, I've gotten family members into therapy and like, everybody's just, we're healing. Okay. We are healing. (laughs) So now you're twice the advocate you were before. Exactly. Exactly. But with experience. (laughs) So now that things are opening up a little bit more, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I mean, now is the time that I'm beginning to ask our guests this question like, how do you feel? Is it exciting or scary 
to have the world opening up again around you? Oh, well, I was very, very excited, um, which is how I caught COVID the second time. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was a little too excited. I was going out. Okay. I was like, oh, the doors are open. Woo. Like living free. And, you know, God has a way of humbling you. So he sat my ass down back in the house for like eight days straight, which sucked. But now looking at it from a different perspective, I think it's too soon. Like, I really think that we we just need to kind of dial back a little bit as much as I hate that. And like, I want to be outside just as much as everybody else. There's just something bigger at play here. And, you know, I'm always kind of for like, what's for the good of everyone like even just outside of myself because I have access to going to parties and things like that and doing fun activities. But like, if we have to, you know, mask up again, if we have to go on a little short lockdown, I think a few of us, honestly, I think things opened up so fast and like we started working again so quickly, you know, God willing, if you have a job that you've been able to sustain, like everything just happened so fast that I think we could all use like a little teeny weeny break. Um, I would, I would like a break. (laughs) I would like a little break. You know what? That's interesting. At first, I was so grateful to be out in the world. And then something about the breakneck pace, because Mm -hmm. as a performer, I was suddenly out in the world in May and June as if, not even as if it was back to normal, but like more intensely than I had been before. Right. And I think everyone was celebrating everything opening up and it is it is a little wild. You do feel so grateful to have that mask off, but at the same time you're like, "Oh my gosh, are we ready for this? Like right. is this the right time?" Yeah, no, totally. I was talking to one of my best friends just yesterday because, you know, she has a huge project with work coming up and she was just like, "I feel so overwhelmed and like I don't know if I'm slipping into a depression, but like I just feel like like I don't have control over anything that's going on. I just feel really, really overwhelmed. And I was like, girl, you got to give yourself some grace. Like she had just gotten a big promotion right before the start of the pandemic. Then the pandemic hit, things kind of like laid low and she wasn't able to really fulfill her job the way that like, you know, in normal times one would have. And now things are back up and running and she's like, she's in events. So now she's like back on her her grind. And I'm like, Give yourself some grace and recognize the fact that you had a whole year of not being able to do your job to its fullest extent. And now you're being tossed back into it. It, It's going to take some time, but like allow yourself that time. But also we don't need to fall back into old patterns of not catering to ourselves and not giving us ourselves the, the time and the love and care that we deserve to give ourselves Like, let's add that because that's what we've been practicing. I think a lot of us over the past year is like more self-care and more self-love and like really just getting back in tune with ourselves. Like, let's make sure that we're adding parts of that in this grind that we're that we're working on, which grind culture is a whole other thing that I I would love to dismantle. But it's it's kind of difficult now. It's time to do what I love to do in every interview, and that's press rewind a little bit. Cami, one of my favorite parts of this podcast is hearing the stories of incredible women from the very beginning. And I want to know, what were you like as a kid? What was your world like? Ooh, well, it all started in 1992, Scorpio I'm ready. season. Um, <laughs> 
no, I, you know, when I was a kid, I think I was so hard on myself for many, many reasons. I come from a very like high achieving family and I'm the oldest of, I have five sisters. So, you know, that pressure on top of everything else, it was always like, you have to be the one, like your sisters are looking at you. You're the oldest, like you have to be the one to, to show them kind of like the way. So it, I always felt a little bit of a pressure but I think it also gave me kind of a sense of what it meant to be a role model and, and you know, that it is important for, for my sisters to see me in a certain light and carrying myself a certain way, which then leads to me now having like a brand and, and people have to see me a certain way. And like, that's just that, it, but that's my natural, like that's, that's kind of my go-to is, is that kind of role, the big, the big sister role. But I was bullied a lot when I was in elementary to middle school, pretty much from like the third to the eighth grade by girls, boys, didn't really matter anything in between. Like it was just constant. And it made me, I don't even know what the word would be except for just kind of feeling like very low and, and just wondering like when things were going to change, like when is life going to be better? And like, when, it, when, when am I not going to feel as crappy as these people are making me feel all the time? And it was really my mom that kind of fixed all of that <laughs> for me. She like, we would have kind of like training sessions where she would teach me like comebacks. If somebody were to say something awful to me. And I remember the I first that. time, the first time I used it on a girl who was bullying me, I went home and cried my eyes out. I felt so bad. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that to her. And it wasn't nice. Like it definitely wasn't nice, but the thing she was doing to me was not nice. Right. And, you know, that's when I kind of realized like the power of your words and just standing up for yourself and that it's okay to stand up for yourself. And, you know, my mom really taught me that. So once I figured that out, it was like, you could not touch me. Like there was nothing that you could say. And it was really great because going into high school, it was just like, if I heard somebody was like talking crap about me, that's fine. But just know I'm going to come up to you and we're going to discuss it. And like, then I became, I went from being like, so non-confrontational, like, I don't want anybody, I don't want to disrupt anything or any to being like, okay, if you're going to do this and like, we're going to match energies now. And right. I've been like that ever since. <laughs> it took a really yeah. long time. But like, even now, especially on the show, people are like, oh, my God, like, I can't you find like the best ways to kind of get through to people or, you know, check people and, and tell people about themselves. I'm like, I've had a lot of training. I've had a long, long journey with standing up for myself and feeling like I was worthy of being stood up for by myself or anybody else. And I feel like after you find your voice, there is nothing that anyone can do to take that away from you. Like once you find it and it's like distinct and you know exactly how you feel and how to vocalize it, it's like, it's literally like the key to success. Now at around this time, when you were a teen, you became part of the pageant world. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, how did you go from someone that had kind of been more collapsed inward to someone that was involved in this world? How did that first begin for you? 
So I did my, my first pageant was Miss Maryland Teen USA, which I ended up winning. And then my second pageant was Miss Teen USA. So I don't have a ton of experience in pageantry. More than me. (laughs) I don't have a ton of experience prior to that. Um, After that, for sure, I've learned a lot more, but you know, I, I think it actually helped me not having been competing like my entire life, because when you've been in that system for such a long time, I think there's no way that you can't be changed by it. I was changed by it and I had only done two years of it. So, and not to say that it's like for the better or for the worse, but I think that you learn to become a little too like diplomatic, a little too politically correct, like not willing to rock the boat not willing to like be confrontational about things that deserve confrontation or, or be vocal about things that deserve your voice for fear of, of, you know, upsetting anyone. Like it's a very kind of 50, 50 thing. And and you learn that in interview training and stuff, how to be 50, 50 on different um, questions and and different things like that. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, But for some things there is no 50, 50, like for some things it's okay to be like, no, this is, this is how I feel. And if someone else feels differently, then that's, okay, but this is my opinion and learning how to like stand firm in that opinion. So, but I think that going into it, not knowing all of that backstory, not knowing like that, that was kind of the experience. It helped me to just be myself the entire way through. And because I was new, I think that the judges really appreciated. It's like a breath of fresh air. Anytime you meet someone (laughs) that's not like a part of the world or like, you know, robotic in a sense that everything feels very rehearsed and you know it's kind of, I always compare it to like going to Disneyland and like meeting the princesses like they're great but like it just feels a little like too good to be true mm-hmm. um and sometimes it is but there are a lot of like real bitches that I love from the pageant system but like it's it's kind of it's kind of hard because it's such a very um they, the pageant world has come a long way, but it hasn't come far enough for me. So, uh, right. you know, it, it takes a lot of learning to understand it and unlearning when you're out of it. And which is definitely something that you've done. For those of us who haven't had a window into the pageant world, I understand that you went through like months mm-hmm. of training in order to be part of Miss Teen USA and I wonder what all does that involve? What kind of training do you do? As a drag queen in competitions, I know what kind of training I have to do. But what, what are you drilling yourself on before you become part of the competition? Well, beauty queens and drag queens are one and the same. So we have to do okay. the same thing. I suspected. It's the same, you know, tucking and all. No, <laughs> Yeah. It's the same, same experience. It, it takes a lot of work. Like it was my, if you ask any of my friends how I was when I was training, they would be like, oh, you were nuts. Like you were crazy because I was. Because when you are in competition mode, you probably, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like it's your brain yes. is not normal. Like your brain is in a completely different place, mm-hmm. which is why you know, there's a lot of stories about pageant girls who are like mean and, and, you know, I've obviously had my experiences with girls who you meet them before the pageant and they're a completely different person than at the pageant. And you're like, what happened to that sweet, nice girl? Like competition does change people sometimes. And 
it takes a lot. I had to do interview coaching. I had two different interview coaches um, that I had, you know, you have to do like all of your paperwork, which is like a booklet full of paperwork about yourself, all your favorite things, what you like to do, charities that you're aligned with, Mm -hmm. um, different appearances that you've done, uh, basically like an outline of your life. Then you have to do walking training because you can't just walk like how you walk at the mall. Like you have to walk like a superstar. And for Miss Teen USA, you have to walk like a teen superstar. So it's like a different, different walks for different yeah. projects. There's a different walk from Miss USA than there is from Miss Universe than there is from Miss Teen USA. And that's, you know, a whole thing on its own because you're basically just walking in heels for hours of the day in a bikini or like some tight fitted bottom so that you can practice like your evening gown walk. And then you have, you know, beauty training. You have to make sure that your hair and makeup are right because a lot of times girls have to do their own makeup for the pageants um, and their own hair, which is a lot, as you know. And then wardrobe styling, you have all of that. So it's, it's a lot. Like you have to learn. Interview is pretty much the most rigorous part because they always say that a pageant is won or lost in the interview room. And that's like a two and a half minute interview for the most part that kind of determines a girl's future of whether or not she's going to make it in this pageant or not. And, you know, then you have the onstage question, which everyone like is like the most, you know, YouTubed part of pageantry, I think. But that is like a thing on its own. You have to learn how to answer that question in 30 seconds or less and make it concise and make it clear. And it's, it's a system. Like it is a system. It is a, I know a pageant girl. I can spot a pageant girl from a mile away. Anytime I watch a new season of the bachelor, I'm like, she's a pageant girl. She's a pageant girl. She's a pageant girl. Every single time. I just know it. I just know it because you become like a machine and there are parts of it that have Mm. absolutely helped me in my everyday life, in my career. But like I said, there are also parts of it that I've had to like strip back, but once you, I, I think once you can compete in a pageant, you can really do just about anything. You know, weirdly, this isn't making me think about drag. This is making me think about when I was young. I did <laughs> karate for 15 years and the competition is so intense. And I would say the exact same yeah. thing about it, that there are parts of it that I carry with me forever as useful tools. I know that I can push myself to do things that... I would never expect. I know to expect the unexpected for myself, I guess. But then also I had to unlearn part of that because I'm like, not every room you walk into needs to be a battlefield. Right. No, that is 1000% the truth because it's a discipline. You learn to become so disciplined. And I completely forgot about the nutrition and fitness aspect of this. That was pretty much my entire life. Like my friend's new if you wanted to talk to me like you want to gossip cool but we're going to do it like on the treadmill or like on the elliptical like that was my life I was in the gym every day twice a day three hours each I was a competitive cheerleader but I had to stop cheering because um well I I could cheer but I couldn't do any stunts or anything like that because it was bulking up my thighs and pageantry is all about lean muscle so I couldn't you know do anything to like build up any high muscle it was crazy. It was crazy. And then eating though, I was eating like more than I've ever eaten more than I eat now for sure. But that's because I was burning so much and I was working out so much because, you know, for me, I've never been a size zero girl, like naturally, that's just not me. 
I'm a size 10. And I've been probably between like a six and a 10 my whole life. But when I competed in pageants, I had to get down to a size zero because I had to Uh. compete next to girls who are naturally a size zero and I have to stand next to them. And we're never going to look the same because a girl who's a natural size zero and me, you know, being the thick queen that I am, we're never going to look the same. But I had to, you know, kind of fit that that mold of what that looks like next to those girls. And it's it's a competitive it's a competitive thing. And you know what? You said that not everybody looks the same, and I'm so glad that everybody doesn't look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot of what you talk about today. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be right back. All right, and now we're back. The next chapter of your life and how we met you was through Catfish. And I understand that getting involved in Catfish was a surprise to you. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about how that came about? Yeah. So I was going through my quarter century life crisis, um, which, you know, girls listening, you will you will have that. You will reach that moment. Um, it was like <laughs> a very chaotic time, but you will get past it. I was at the moment I had turned 25 and I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what, where am I going? I, I want to be on TV, but like, is this going to happen? Should I be looking for nine to five jobs? Like what, where am I going? And then I was like, Oh, you know what? I'll move to LA. <laughs> like, This is a great idea. And then I overthought that I was like, this is a horrible idea, but I had been living in New York for eight years and I kind of had, it had ran its course for me as far as hosting was concerned. So I was like, I need to try something different. So I kind of just like had booked my move. I booked the moving truck. I found an apartment. I did all these things. And in the meantime of all of that happening, I get an email from someone over in the casting department for our production company that produces Catfish Critical Content. And it happens to be this girl, Rachel, who she's still on our casting team. She is also a former pageant girl and like competed in pageants for a long time. And she just hit me up and she was like, hey, like I your information came across my desk and I would love to have you come on and guest host two episodes of Catfish. And I was like, this is fake. <laughs> like right. I'm being I'm being catfished, obviously, because I've been watching Catfish since the beginning, since the documentary came out. I can cite probably more episodes than Neve. And I have also been working in entertainment for seven years up until that point. And that kind of stuff just didn't happen. Like you don't just get reached out to by somebody at a major, you know, network television show about co-hosting anything that, that just wasn't normal. So I was like, this is probably fake, but I'm just going to go with it. And I did. And I ended up flying out to Iowa like four days before my move to L.A. um, to film an episode of Catfish with Neve. That was my first time meeting him. I still thought it was a joke up until the moment when he walked into the room. And then I realized it definitely wasn't a joke. And we were for sure doing this. Yeah. And (laughs) we filmed the episode and it was great. And then I went back to New York and the next day I moved to L.A. And then they just kept asking me to come back and film episodes And our offices are here in L.A. So it just kind of it all made sense in, in, you know, the grander scheme of things for me to be out here. And it was the the best move that I could have made in my life. So and then after that, we just kind of 
kept doing guest hosting spots. And then finally, Neve called me and asked me if I wanted to be his full-time co-host. And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> and that was that. Now, I have to ask you, on behalf of Caitlin, our producer, what is it like to work with Neve? <laughs> Neve is like, I tell him he's the big brother that I never wanted. I love him <laughs> to death. We're like 1,000% like family now. Um you know, we just have such a great chemistry and like a really great bond. And like, we're just, I don't, we just are able to kind of like feed off of each other. And now that we're shooting back in person together, it makes it so much better and easier because we can like really bounce off of each other. But I, I don't think that the show really shows like how goofy Neve actually is. He seems pretty goofy. <laughs> He's very goofy and like gets on my nerves. Uh, but I'm t- we're like brother and sister. It's like very, very annoying. What was it like to work on this during COVID? Like that must have made everything so wild. It was. It definitely was. We did everything virtually, which Eve and I were like so excited to do. We could not wait to get back into filming again. So when they told us that we could do this, we were like, okay, like, let's do it. But at the time when we started, like, there was no quarantine content out there. So it was kind of like, we felt like we were pioneering this, like, virtual television kind of sphere. But we kind of learned as we went. And it's been fantastic. People love it. I think some people said that they love it more than the in-person episodes, which I'm hoping we get back to. But Yeah, and like, if there's any show Mm -hmm. that's going to work on an online platform, I think Catfish is the one. Now, I've kind of wondered, watching people go through the process of researching their online partners and finding out the truth, do you think you learned a little bit about human beings? Oh, yeah. 1,000%. I I think I'm naturally a very like intuitive person. I like to think that I'm, I understand people very well. Um, but if this has taught me anything, because as a fan of the show and watching it for so long, I'd be like, how the hell are these people getting catfish? Like it's 2021. It's like, Mm. get with it. Like you have all the tools and I'm also a natural stalker. So like, I would have figured out all of this from years ago. I think that at the end of the day, people just want to be loved and they just want to experience love. And however that comes is kind of okay because at least you're experiencing it. I think that it's easy to say, you know, how could you stick around in this or how, like, why would you be putting up with this when you have love in your life or if you have experienced it before? Some people haven't. And some people are also in in-person relationships that are less than stellar and nobody I was about <laughs> to say yeah, that. I was exactly. like, I feel like I've been catfished in person, <laughs> if that Same. makes any yes. possible sense. Like, you get out of the relationship and you look back with clear eyes and you're like, yeah. oh my gosh. What, what was that? <laughs> and I think it's because you're right. I think people need to have no matter who you are, you need to have love in your life. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't experienced it, and I think that it's possible to have dated many people and not experienced it, Mm -hmm. if you haven't experienced it, you don't really know what you're looking for. And so it's hard to tell what's quote unquote real and what's not even in person. Right, exactly. And that's why 
I just find that empathy is always just the best way to, to come at it. Like empathy and understanding. Some people just want to experience it. Like, and even if it's not perfect, no relationship is. And like, who are we to judge because we're not, you know, invested in these online relationships. Some of us are invested in in in-person relationships that are doomed. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, who's to say? And who's to judge? You know, speaking of non-judgment, one of my favorite parts about the show is that I think in our minds we're automatically geared towards thinking that the person that's doing the catfishing is a villain. Mm -hmm. And I kind of love that nine times out of ten, you usually find out it's a person that is just as needy and in search for love. It's usually not malicious. Now, there are episodes definitely where we find out that there is malicious intent, that it's some kind of revenge. But a lot of the time, it's just another person that's completely lost, doesn't really know what they're doing either. So yeah, taking that a spirit of non-judgment, I think is a a wonderful part about the show. And Neve is certainly... uh, pushes that as as hard as he can. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's always, like, the hopeless romantic, and I'm more yeah. kind of, like, doom and gloom. Um, yeah. It makes for, like, a good dynamic because sometimes he's like, well, no, what if, blah, blah. I'm like, no, Neef, no. Like, and, so, <laughs> and sometimes I've been wrong, but it's very, yeah. very rare. Right. Um, so <laughs> I like to think that I have, you know, a good judge of character. Sometimes most episodes I call it from the very beginning – but, you know, you like to give the like some sense of hope to the person that we're helping. But then also sometimes like we have to be real because like nobody else is going to do it or they don't like to listen to the people who are closest to them because they're like, you know me too well. So you don't like you just want what's best for me, but you don't really get where I'm at. And like it's a case by case thing, but it's honestly the most fun I've ever had in a job ever and probably ever will have because <laughs> oh it just feels like it just feels like what I do normally stalk people yeah. find them you know connect them with my best friends and that's that's what I do <laughs> <laughs> now okay so you've had this experience with television you've mm-hmm. been a part of the beauty world and pageantry and so many other things and it altogether has led you to feel like there needs to be more inclusivity based on race and sexual orientation and Mm -hmm. body type, especially in the beauty industry. And I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about your advocacy in this area. I I can see so many places where it might come from, but I was wondering, like, you know, where that comes from for you. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, coming from a place of feeling like everyone else was telling me how to feel growing up and like, who I was and then realizing that I'm the only person who can dictate my happiness and how I feel about myself. Um, that kind of led me down like the body positive journey. And then, you know, I started modeling shortly after I gave up my crown as Miss Teen USA. And, you know, I started modeling in the curve industry. I was no longer like this size zero girl, which I was so happy about. And I was just, kind of catapulted into a new world where my body still mattered, but in a a different way. And, you know, if I gained weight, I actually got more clients. So it was Mm. like, great. It was great. Like I was having a great time doing it. 
Um, but it just made me realize like how much toxicity there is surrounding body image and feeling good about your body. And I, I never really understood that just because like my family comes from Jamaica and like body standards in other countries are just different. I feel like than they are in the U S and, you know, I've always been taught to like love my body, even if I was being, you know, criticized or made fun of for being curvier or having stretch marks in middle school or whatever. I've just been taught to kind of like praise my body. So I just, I like to give that kind of, you know, love to other people for the same thing. And then when it came to like advocacy for, you know, societal issues, race issues, queer issues, like that's just naturally the person that I am. So this is what I want to know from you next. What is next for you? What is your big dream on the horizon, that big step that you want to take next in your life? Do you honestly want to know what my biggest dream in life is? <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to know the practical ones. I want to know the absurd one because the absurd ones are the best when they come true. Um, my absurd dream <laughs> that I have been literally whoring myself out for for years is to be... <laughs> An extra special guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. That's all I want in life. That's literally okay. all I want. In okay. Life. I feel like that is so doable for you. That's what people and... keep saying, but I still have not seen myself on there with that glamour filter on yet. And I've already thought about my outfit. I've thought about my glam. All I need is someone to recognize me. <laughs> okay. This is this is the job of our listeners. Everyone, Please. I want you to tweet and yes. put it in your IG stories that we need to have Cami on RuPaul's yes. Drag Race. We need grassroots support here. That's honestly um, because honestly, I think if you can't <laughs> if you can't like get on to RuPaul's Drag Race as an expert in catfishing and pageantry, like I, I don't mean, know honestly. <laughs> That's, That's like, those are my jobs. So they should be yours too. You know? This is what I am saying. I am so <laughs> dedicated. I will be the best extra special guest judge that there has ever been. And it's all I pray for at night. But other than that, I have a podcast coming out, which I'm really excited about. Oh, great. Um, and, you know, it's called Relationship. So it is all about um, relationship advice on all fronts. So not just romantic relationships, but friendships, coworker relationships, family dynamics, like there are so many relationships in our life, in our lives that are, you know, bigger and sometimes even deeper than like our romantic partners. And those need advice and love and care too. Um, yeah. So I'm excited about that. But I just, I, I've really been kind of diving more into the advocacy space, which I love and I'm excited about doing things with, you know, organizations that are LGBTQ plus affirming. Um, yeah. And also, you know, a lot with uh, just kind of black voting rights issues and all, all kinds of things. I'm just, I'm all over the place and I love it because that's just how I work best. Yep. Um, and just like lending a hand and, and my voice to things that that matter like yeah. and you know making a mark in a different way than just like my face being plastered everywhere I, I don't really care for that although yes. <laughs> my biggest dream ironically is to be plastered everywhere in target like in literally every place that you go in target like I want to have <laughs> a stand in cosmetics I want to have a stand in the kids section I want to have a stand in the home section like I want to stand 
everywhere. Cookware, everything, games. <laughs> I oh, don't care. <laughs> my goodness. I now I have to be thinking about what your line mm-hmm. is gonna be called. It's all I mean, it's gonna be just all encompassing. It's gonna be called everything. That's what it's gonna be called. Cammy <laughs> Crawford. Everything. Everything. The everything brand by Cammy Crawford. Let me I trademark love that, that so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really uplifting uh, conversation, which is weird because we talked about therapy and bullying <laughs> and all of that. But the I best. mean, those are the things that we need to acknowledge in order to like live a good life. So um, thank you so much. And we will be sharing anything, any projects that you have coming up. So when you launch your podcast, you let us know and we will support it on this one. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I'm excited too. <laughs> okay, so Caitlin, that was our interview for today. And thank you so much for bringing Cammy on. Wasn't she great? Yeah, she really is. It's like when you admire someone from afar and you're like, okay, let's see what it's like to talk to them. And now it's like, I'm leaving it like, okay, still just as obsessed, if not more so. Oh, for sure. Everything that she brought to the table was so unexpected. And I think I'll blame myself for that because of like stereotypes. You think that someone who is a beauty queen has never dealt with bullying and someone that has like celebrity has never dealt with feeling down or isolated. And then she was so open about saying like, yeah, I was bullied. Yeah, I feel down sometimes. And this is how I came out of it. You know, some people probably look at you and think similar things, you know, so just a like reminder to everybody, no matter like who you are in status in someone's mind. Everyone goes through stuff. Update, Caitlin. I am still anxious and depressed. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> I'm like, I took uh, a shower today. I get extra points. Like, who am I? Michelle Obama? I'm an inspiration, you know? <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like we deserve to, like, like pat ourselves on the back when we even do one thing, you know? Because I was like, you could just be in bed all day long doing nothing. But no, you got up and took a shower. That's that's what we learned from Aisha Bo, one of our earlier guests on this podcast, was that, man, if you can do those basic things, you can do so much with your life. If you could yeah, just be like, yeah. all right, every morning I'm going to do this. Oh, and Caitlin, I meant to sort of check in about this when we were doing our good news, but um, I have audience, everyone, listeners, Caitlin, I have been reading. I've been doing what we promised at the beginning of the year. You've been going oh to the gym. God. I'm almost done with this book that it's it's just been like two weeks, I think, that I've had it and I'm she's almost done. What were our goals? Were I think mine know mine was fifty books this year in twenty twenty one. What was yours? I wanted to read two books a month. Okay. Have you been doing that? Let's put it this way. I've been reading. Okay. Okay. Okay, good, good. I haven't crushed it like you have with your gym goals. But I've definitely gotten somewhere. I'm so proud. Thank you, Graylin. Because when I first met Ms. Cracker, she was a big reader. So yeah. it feels very nice to me that you're like getting back on track with that. Anyway, I want to say this again. If you liked your time with us today, I want you to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and review it. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much, 
we're going to read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the show. And Caitlin, I understand that you have a review for us this week, and I'm very excited. Yes, I do. Now this is quickly overtaking the credits as my favorite part of the show. Wow. That's I big, know. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, okay. This one is from Rosemary. It says, amazing. I didn't know what to expect, to be honest, but was really pleasantly surprised. I love how much effort she puts into researching her guests, making them feel comfortable, and asking interesting questions I feel are often overlooked on other podcasts. I have known none of the guests previously and am still really interested in everything they're saying because of how well she interviews them. I'm a Scottish 29-year-old cis woman, and it's so interesting to hear from women all over. That's a nice one. And she basically said that you are a great interviewer, and I know that you love that. She loves that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It makes me so happy, and especially because... Putting in that work in the research means I get to know these people that much better. Yeah, you're not just blindly logging on with only a sort of halfway idea. Exactly. I'm like, when you were 12, you got the New Yorker. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, yeah. (laughs) How did you know that? (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, loved, I love that review. And it like makes me think, I'm like, if you keep getting compliments for your interviewing skills, I feel like you and Cammy have to do a like a swap, you know. She can go be a judge on Drag Race. You can go host a catfish episode with an Eve. <laughs> right? Oh, absolutely. And by the way, for everyone who's wondering, I am the woman in the pictures I sent, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, everybody, that was our show. And that means this. It's time for the credits. This podcast was produced by Kratalina Grotum, by Caitlin Gretum, uh. and then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin, who gets our guests and keeps me on track and makes sure that I send out my Zoom emails. <laughs> and it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71, who is foaming at the mouth, chomping at the bit, waiting for us to come up with a new episode. So... Thank you for joining us today. (laughs) I just got a really strong image of Studio 71 losing their mind. Um, (laughs) So thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, She's a woman! (laughs) I don't know how good that one was. (laughs) That was terrible. But all the same, just say it in the mirror and I will be with you. We love you all. 